Hello, and welcome to Kavanagh State Show Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kavanagh. Our guest today is Russ Elliott. Russ, are you ready to be great today? I am. Russ Elliott, an expert on organizational culture, is a founder of the Conscious Culture Group, a consulting executive coaching company committed to linking culture to performance by creating ownership for culture and fully understanding the employee experience. Working closely with leaders, Wes helps create organizational changes that build more effective and intentional, intentional culture holistically. Wes brings his 32 years of HR practitioner experience to his consulting practice. While serving as a senior vice president HR director, his organization was recognized as the best place to work in Silicon Valley and nationally as a, one of the top 40 best banks to work for. Russ, who is SPHR certified, is on the faculty of the UC Berkeley Extension, Global Institute of Leadership Development and Women in Leadership. Russ's articles have been published in national HR magazine, magazines, and he has been interviewed as an HR culture expert for, for national HR articles. Russ holds a BS in business and an MA in HR. Russ, thank you for being here. I know you have a lot going on. Jason, it is. Yeah, it's good to be with you, Jason. So what's, what's going on in the life of Russ Elliott and your company right now? Yeah, what's going on? So there, there are two interesting things I'm, I'm in the middle of. Uh, one, we uh, rolled out a five-question survey uh, for uh, folks uh, around company culture. The results are coming in, and it's really interesting to see uh, the results of that, uh, five questions that really speak to uh, the state of uh, their culture, the knowledge, the leader's role. And the other is I've uh, finished writing a leader's guide, a practical guide for company culture. And so that's about to be uh, published and rolled out in the next four to six weeks. So those are, those are two big uh, projects that uh, in the middle of right now. Russ, talk about the importance of culture to a company. I mean, it seems like most companies, they, they always say, oh, culture is later on. That's when we get to employee number 25, number 30. And I don't think they realize that, you know, by the time you have employee number 10, your culture is, you know, is already being established. Yeah, culture. Yeah, culture is established. Even if it's a an, a company of uh, just two employees, there is a version of culture. And when you get into 10, 20, 30, 40, it's often the culture becomes uh, mimics really who the the CEO, the top two leaders, top three three leaders, who they are, and uh, people try to mimic uh, that uh, what the, those leaders are doing. And so that becomes the culture, and I call it an unintentional culture, unconscious culture, because it's not really clearly stated. People are trying to guess on the best way to be. So whether it's a small company of 10, in fact, I'm working with a group that uh, has three, three employees. Um, so even if it's a company of 10, 20, 30, 50, 100, 1,000, there is a culture. So what, what's, what's your philosophy? You're out there, you know, culture belongs to HR. Other people say, no, culture is a sales domain. Other people say, no, it's, you know, everyone's responsibility. Yeah. So I believe that culture is a partnership with the top leadership team, including HR and the employees. I believe there's some ownership uh, of the culture with employees that the best path to creating a conscious culture is understanding what the leader's intentions are and then building a bridge with the employee experience. What I've seen out there, so 32 years in HR, I've seen a lot before I opened up my consulting group. I really got to understand all the different levers around culture. And what's often missed is that the leaders have an intention on the culture. 
They want X, Y, Z to happen, but they don't check in on the employee experience. What is truly going on? That is if you interview 10, 20, 30, 50 employees and ask them what the employee experience is like. The key is to a successful intentional culture is building a bridge between the leader's intention and the employees. And hopefully HR is part of that leadership team. Yes, I remember reading somewhere that often like people come in and ask the, like the CEOs or you know, the founders, you know, do, do your employees know what's going on? You know, and they always say, oh yes, of course they know. I have send out emails, I'll talk to them, but then they talk to employees, the employees are have a big disconnect with what the, and the founders or CEOs actually want to happen. Yeah, and in fact, uh, uh, it depends on the culture, uh, whether there's trust and communication uh, going on on a regular basis, but more often than not, the leadership team is not fully aware of uh, the, the challenges that every employees face. There are different kinds of surveys out there. There are engagement surveys and culture surveys. And what we do is we create, once we get to understand the needs and desires of the leadership team, we create a customized culture survey that really helps understand, helps gives employees an anonymous way of saying, this is what our experience is. This is what's working well. Keep doing those things. And these are the challenges we're having. For example, it may feel like promotions only go to friends of founders. Uh, you know, these are important things to understand in order to build and create a better, stronger culture. Yes, and even if that's not true, the perceptions there and what they know how they say perception is reality. It, perception is a reality, exactly. And, and a, an effectively written and executed culture survey where there is uh, transparency around it and follow-up and actions that uh, come out of the survey with a group of employees, you know, then you start creating buy-in to the culture and understanding of what the culture is. Now, Russ, you're in the Silicon Valley area, correct? That is correct. So what percentage of your companies that you work with are startups? And what are are like already like traditional businesses, so to speak. Yeah, uh, when they're typically when they're really new and young, uh, the culture is not the first thing that they're they're thinking about with startups. Uh, there are some that say, "Let's build the company around the culture and be really clear up front what it is." A, a really good example would be Riot Games, or a really good example would be Lyft. Those are companies. The founders upfront said this is the culture we want and we need to make sure that we consistently reinforce the things that we think are going to be successful. So those are unusual cases. Most often in startups, they're just, they're going 90 miles an hour focusing on product development. Yes. Another thing, like, you know, people always say great culture, but my question would be like great culture for who? Because each culture is different. The example I like to use, you know, Starbucks and Amazon have two different cultures and both are successful, successful with them. But like, if you're a Starbucks employee and go to Amazon, if you don't change to the Amazon culture, you're probably not going to be successful and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. And Apple and Microsoft would be another example of that. Uh, there, yeah, I, I'm not an advocate that there is only one best culture. Be, I am an advocate of being clear about the culture that you want that is going to make your competitive edge, that is going to be your culture advantage. And when you're able to do that and you have clarity around that, reinforcing that, and importantly, attracting employees who want to be part of that, that's when you're going to be a successful organization. So whether it's Apple or whether it's IBM, whether it's Amazon, it, it, each culture is going to be different. And it's about attracting and retaining the people that are going to be succeeding 
in the organization you're creating with the culture that you're intentionally creating. Yes, Russ, one opportunity I think a lot of companies miss out on is the exit interview. Why does it seem like a lot of companies like pass over this opportunity to learn? I mean, of course, true, there'll be a couple of people like, you know, bitter and put some bad stuff in there that, you know, really isn't true. But I think for the most part, employees are going to be honest. Why do most companies miss this opportunity? I love this question because it is often not asked and often missed. And I think it exit interviews, when done well, are a rich source of feedback for the leadership team. And when I was in the HR role, I spent a long time, a good hour, exiting interviews, really understanding the information. What I would share with the person that I'm exiting is that what I'm looking for are patterns. I'm not interested in saying Sam Smith feels this way, but I am interested in saying in the last five people I talked to, uh, this is the issue that's being raised. And we have now a valid reason why people are leaving and why we need to create some change in this particular area. When you can develop trust with people that you're exiting, they're willing to share what truly is going on. It's a rich source of information that's often overlooked. I'm not a fan of these uh, survey exit interviews where you sign up, on, sign online, check some boxes, and you're done in five minutes. I believe in in-person, uh, deep asking questions that really help understand the truth behind one's, why someone left instead of the reason why they're going somewhere else. Example I can use like, suppose you have five exiting reviews and all five say, you know, Supervisor X was the reason they left. Well, now you know Supervisor X needs some training. You know, where no exit interview, you'd have no idea that that problem existed. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really good example because it may be that Supervisor X is a micromanager and, and the people that are leaving are the highly creative folks that really want to be able to explore a little bit, not be, not every decision is, is overlooked by their manager. So, so you end up losing a, a large group of people who want to be creative and resourceful. And they're being limited because, not because it's a, the manager's a bad person, simply because they haven't developed the skill sets around effectively empowering and delegating to people. And yes. then you know that you can develop that person with that information. Yes. Then another challenge a lot of companies now is also, you know, oh, you know, we're making a good profit, you know, things are going good, but don't you want to improve? Don't you, don't you want to get better? You just want to know, be the status quo? I think that's a problem too with a lot of companies nowadays. Yeah, there, there's plenty of evidence now out there that organizations that do focus on creating an intentional culture outperform their competitors. And it's clear that this is now a competitive edge for organizations that particularly millennials, they're going to go online. They're going to take a look at what is it like to work for XYZ. And they may simply not even apply because of the, the online reputation. And so particularly these days with millennials, culture is a reason uh, a millennial will join or not join a company. If they're inspired by the mission statement, if they're excited about what it's like to work there, if there's an online video that shows, it gives examples of the uh, culture and the work environment, that's going to draw the best talent. Yes. I think a lot of companies um, don't realize that they have their own employer branding too. Just like they want to, you know, you know pull in customers, they also want to pull in the, the right employees also. And culture is a big part of that, I think. Yeah. And in fact, I was uh, having a conversation yesterday with a potential client and, and you look online and you notice that there isn't much on their website uh, they don't, around their culture. 
they go, oh, yeah, you're right. I guess it's not there. So that's a big part of creating a conscious culture is ensuring that your employment brand really effectively tells the story of what, what it's like to work there, what the culture is like. Why would I want to work for you? And that has to be answered on the website or in social media. Yes. There's a company out of San Francisco called Clove.io. There's a, they're a sales company and the CEO is Stanley Efty. And I think they have a great culture. Like, okay, he does blogs every week. He, he, you know, he, posts, he does blogs about his culture. There's a remote company. They do twice year retreats. And he's very open and transparent about if you come to Clove.io, this is, this, is, this is the kind of company you're going to have. I think he does a great job at that. Yeah. And he, by, by doing that, he's going to attract people that really want to be part of what he's creating. And that's the kind of employee, that's the crew that you want that are excited to be there, excited and passionate about what they're, about the product, about the organization, about the business, about the success, about their contribution and their growth in the business. These are things that are going to attract millennials. And they're nearly 50% of the workforce right now. Yes. And I don't like us, like Rears coming up, it was, oh, you got to stay at one job for as long as you can. But millennials have no problem, you know. Too much, you know, this ain't a good fit. Let me go find another job. They have no problem doing that. And then that's good right, for them, right. I think. Right. I, I think that's true. And I think they're searching for that right job. And it's really interesting. I, I have uh, two boys that are both uh, millennials. And, uh, and one right out of college found a job that is a really good fit. And I suspect he's going to be in that job for quite a long time because it's exactly the right job for him, the exact right company. It is a really good culture fit for him. And so I think millennials are searching for that, that right culture fit. And when they find it, they're going to stay a while. Yes. Russ, now let's talk about a time you were successful in the past, what you learned from this success and what our listeners can learn from this success. Yeah. Yeah. So let me, the, the, what comes to mind is in the last corporate position I had before accepting that I had two offers and it was, a, it was a really interesting time. I knew that I was likely to have one more job before I got into consulting and executive coaching. And so with these two positions, one was going to be extremely challenging, difficult. It was going to push my edge. There was risk around, around it. Will I be successful or not be successful? And it paid really well. The second job was safer, lower pay. I can do this, not in my sleep, but I can do it fairly easy. And so I met with my career coach the Friday morning before I was to decide which job to take. And I ended up going with one that was more challenging. And that was such the right decision for my life that, that in that, that I stepped out of my comfort zone and I took it on. I personally and professionally grew so much. It was a good decision. So what did I learn? That there are times you just need to step out of your comfort zone, go after a job that even if you feel it's a little bigger than you, to go ahead and move forward with it. Russ, next talk about time that you failed in the past, what you learned from this failure and what our listeners can learn from this failure. Yeah, yeah. So what comes to mind is, is around, around job fit. I, I, I was involved in a, in a company where it simply wasn't a fit. And it's kind of an interesting story, an unusual one. And I, th I think your HR audience will, will relate to it as well as others. So I... I went and interviewed for a company, talked with the CEO for an hour, talked with the second in command for an hour. At the end of those two hours, went back and talked to the CEO. And he had in front of him a job offer where I was receiving a 20% increase in pay 
and it, my, the compensation package was the 20% increase. And they asked me to make a decision in 24 hours around that. And I said yes to that. And I got in there and I, it just, it seemed like, wow, who wouldn't want that increase in pay? And when I was in that job, my values and the values of the leadership team simply were not aligned. And so it was, it was a very difficult few months for me and for them. And so what I learned around that is particularly in HR, you need to ensure that your values and the values of the leadership team are aligned and, and fit is really critical. We all, everyone makes those kinds of mistakes. They're in a job and they go, not quite right for me. I should have figured out when they made a decision in two hours, that that's how they work. They're more about ready, fire, aim than ready, aim, fire. Yes. Russ, so do you focus mainly on the Silicon Valley area? Are you California-wide, nationwide? Yeah, uh, in, actually international. I was in Mexico last week working with a company. So how do you, how do you market your, your company? Are you, are you doing like any marketing efforts or is it mainly word of mouth and your reputation so far? Yeah, so uh, I, the work usually comes from one of two ways, referrals. Most of it comes from referrals. The other way is through social media. I, I, I tend to write a lot. Uh, I'm involved a lot. I've got seven talks in the next six months that I'm giving, so I get up in front of groups a lot at conferences. And so when people get to see me and know me and feel me, then they go, oh, I can trust this person. Because think about it. When they're hiring me, hiring somebody from the Conscious Culture Group, there's tremendous amount of trust in the keys that they're providing us. And so it's really about building that trust with the leadership team where they go, I got it. I understand what this person's about. I understand the work that the Conscious Culture Group is doing. And I feel like they're the right partner for us. That's not a 10 minute decision. That usually takes a while to really get there. Yes, like I tell people from my own company, you know, I know I'm not selling candy bars. It's going to take a while to establish relationships and build up trust before they take me on as a, as a, as a HR. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and when you're uh, in HR, it's the same level of trust that there needs to be a strong alignment between who you are as an individual and your value system and the organizational value system and the leadership value system. And when they're misaligned, it's, it shows up very quickly. Russ, Talk about someone who has helped you in the past and how they helped you. Yeah, that, that, that's an easy one for me. I, I was very lucky. Right out of grad school, my first boss was Bill Irwin, and I'm still in touch with, with Bill. Bill really demonstrated to me early on in my career that what a, what a, what a role model HR leader looks like. When Bill went around the plant and there were 600 employees in the plant, he knew everybody by name. For many of them, he knew about their families. He knew for many of them when they were going on vacation, where they were going, he developed really good relationships with every employee. He showed me the importance of everybody's important, everybody contributes, build relationships with everyone. He really demonstrated the key about the keys around respect, collaboration. He was very even in his temperament, very approachable. Bill set a high standard for me on one day, I want to be like Bill. It's always amazed me how many, you know, so-called HR leaders don't get that aspect of HR. They're, they're missing that. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, and 
you know, whoever you are as you are, there's, I don't want to advocate that there's only one way of being in HR. Different organizational cultures need different kinds of HR leaders. But I was able to find who I was and where I could best offer my contribution to an organization. And that was around collaboration and respect and really getting to know people and build relationships. Those are things that I strive for when I was in the field. Russ, let's say there's someone graduating from college, you know, this summer, they have a degree in business and they want to be an HR profession, professional. What advice would you have for this person? The, where I, hopefully I'd get them before they graduate. The first thing I would say is uh, volunteer and work in an HR department. This is actually what I did when I was in school. Uh, just get, get in there, get some experience, slowly build up your resume, really test the waters whether this is interesting to you or interesting work to you or not. There are many facets of HR. And so do you want to be a generalist or you do, do you only want to work within staffing or compensation? Or do you want to work on analytics if that's your thing? And so I would say first an unpaid internship if you can get, get that. And then if you can, a paid internship. And all of that, it will distinguish you a little bit more from everybody else that's out there. I also highly recommending attending a local monthly HR gathering. Get to know people. Sit down. Have a cup of coffee with them. Get to know their experience. Learn from them. Build relationships with them. Maybe one of them will be a mentor for you, and, and they'll be able to guide you along the way. So if the more you can build relationships, the more you can demonstrate some level of competency, the more you have a better understanding of what part of HR interests you, uh, the, the easier it will go when you get out of college. Russ, you bring up a great point. I think a lot of people don't realize how expensive HR is, you know, because those companies just do, you know, like you just do culture, just do, you know, payroll, just do, you know, benefits. There's so much HR stuff out there. Now people don't realize how expensive the breadth of knowledge you need for HR is. Yeah, and, and so I, for me, I've always been what they call it, what's called a generalist. So my first job uh, right out of college was a generalist job. There were times when all I did was training and development or all I did was labor relations. But for the most part, it's been generalist work. And I, I like that because I like variety. I, like, I loved on a given day, there were 10 or 12 different kinds of issues, all very different in, in the ways that you had to think about things. And I like that kind of challenge. Other people, if they're more analytical, would would find that compensation uh, would be something that really interests them. How do you create compensation to motivate uh, the, the organization? Uh, for other people, it's benefits. Uh, and the larger the company, the more specialized you're gonna be. So if a generalist is what's interesting, then trying to find a smaller company where you may be the only person or you may be part of a team of two or three people. But try to get a sense of what really excites you the most because, because it will show up at work. And if you want to be a generalist, try to look for a, a smaller, mid-sized company. Russ, tell us something about yourself that most people don't know. You know, of course, like your close family, close friends know this, but most people that know you don't know this about you. Yeah, so what is it something people uh, don't know? Well, uh, if they only knew me from a work perspective, they wouldn't know that I have a fairly large tattoo on my upper right arm because even if I wore short sleeves, it would be covered. And uh, in there, I spent five years trying to figure out what I wanted in there. And, and the, when I really understood what I wanted was when I was out surfing with a friend of mine and, and about 20 dolphins came our way. 
and they literally came between our boards, around our boards. And when I, and a dolphin popped up and I looked it in his eye and there was some eye contact going on in there. I'm like, okay, I got it. So my tattoo is going to have dolphins in there. It's going to be the ocean. I love the mountains. And so I ended up, I, am, I have uh, two dolphins on the tattoo, each one representing my son. And then when I was with my older son, I was trying to figure out what words to put on it. And he said, and he was 10, he goes, dad, this is easy. Enjoying the journey. That's who you are. And those are the words I have in my tattoo. That's a great story, Russ. Thank you. Russ, uh, do you have a book to recommend for our listeners? I do. It's, uh, it's Work Rules by Laszlo Bach. So I, I'm, as a pra former practitioner, I believe, let's, get, let's be really practical about uh, what we can do to, ch to change things within systems, HR systems. And so Work Rules uh, is, uh, Laszlo was the head of HR at Google. And you could pull 50, 60, 70 very practical ideas, things that you can implement right away uh, to create the kind of change uh, in the culture, the, the change of HR systems, to create more a more motivating environment. I think he's done a really good job of letting the rest of the HR community know what Google's been doing. And he also talks about mistakes they've made. So it's good to hear about those mistakes as well. Russ, I understand you have something for our listeners today. I do. And so for the listeners, I, I'm really passionate and love the work that I do. And so I would offer you, anybody that's wanting to explore and understand their company culture, a free 30-minute consult, just because I love talking about it. And in, that 30, in those 30 minutes, I will assure you that there's something that you will be able to do in the next 30 days that's going to start to influence the culture in the intentional, conscious way that you want to, that the organization wants to. There are so many ways of doing that. And if I understand your story in 15, 20 minutes and the struggles you have, in the next 10 minutes, I will offer you ideas to begin making the shift that you want to make. Thank you, Russ. That's very valuable for the listeners. Russ, can you provide any social media links, either for yourself or for your company, so people can reach out to you? Yeah, so, so the company is Conscious Culture Group. So it's ConsciousCultureGroup.com is our website. On Twitter, I'm at Shaping Culture. And Facebook is Conscious Culture Group. And my LinkedIn is Russ Elliott. And I would love to connect with people uh, on, on all of those paths and uh, have dialogue with them about the things that I'm passionate about and that they're more, wanting to be more curious and, and have a greater impact on. Russ, we're coming to the end of our talk. Can you provide any last-minute wisdom or, or advice for our listeners? Yeah, yeah. So if, if in HR or anywhere else as an organizational leader, if this, if this idea that you want to create an intentional conscious culture is something on your list, understand it's much more like a big ship than a speedboat. It's going to take time. It's going to take patience on building and reinforcing the bridge between what leaders want, what their vision of the culture is, and the employee experience. And there are ways and methods to do that that will speed things up a little bit, but it takes patience and it takes time. It's a big ship to turn, and I would love to be part of anybody's journey in that. Thank you, Russ. Russ, thank you for being our guest today. We really appreciate your time. You gave us listeners a lot of value, and thank you very much. I really appreciate it. You bet it, Jason. Absolutely. To our listeners, thank you for your time as well. And remember to be great every day.